Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Jessica Grosskopf, an extension educator and panhandle economist in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I wanna welcome you to today's webinar. Part of today's presentation will focus on USDA's World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimates for August. The WASDE report summarizes the current information for major commodities into a supply and demand balance sheet. This month marks the first report of the year that uh, uses crop production data collected from farm operations and farm observations. We'll take a look at the report and how it can be used to inform grain marketing strategies for the rest of 2020. Joining me today are my extension colleagues in the Department of Agricultural Economics. Robert Tigner is the Agricultural Systems Economist based out of North Platte, and Corey Walters is an Associate Professor and Grain Marketing Economist. So we are going to share our slide set here. So to jump off on our discussion today, we're going to start out um, by talking about the fact that there's a lot going on within the markets right now. And if you've been following the headlines, there's a lot of news out there about China. Um, but we've also seen a lot of news come out recently about uh, the United States, specifically uh, the storm damage that occurred on Monday. So there's still a lot of uncertainty in this market. Uh, we could also add headlines here about COVID and what's going to happen um, as we come into fall and winter of this year. So as we look at this, there's, there's a lot of information that producers are trying to process. So as we look at the August 12th WASD report that was released yesterday, um, we're going to summarize this uh, fairly, fairly quickly. Um, and what we're really interested in and the, the big point of the August report is that it is the first report um, that uses that USDA NAS survey data to look at the, um, uh, uses the survey data um, to estimate that yield estimate. Now this year is, is kind of interesting because they did not use the objective yield survey, which is where they um, send numerators out to actually complete a separate analysis. They're just using the USDA NAS producer surveys um, as well as some satellite imagery. So as we look at those yields, um, you can see that um, it was up from the July report for both corn and soybeans. And in the previous reports, they were using a trend line yield. As we go down the balance sheet, um, you can see that we dropped beginning stocks on both corn and soybeans and increased production. 
and we were steady on imports for, for both corn and soybeans. Total supply use for both sides was up, um, and as well as domestic use and exports. And overall, what we're looking at, the bottom line, is that we have ending stocks that are up for both corn and soybeans. Um, when we look at that um, in terms of bushels, again, we're looking at uh, basically for corn, we're looking at uh, 2.7 billion bushels of corn on ending stocks for the United States, um, and then uh, 610 million bushels on the soybean side. Lots of questions um, about this report in terms of, you know, what's going to happen as we, as we look to the future. Um, this report was put together as of August 1st. Again, we know that there was some weather damage, especially through uh, that Iowa region um, just on Monday. So how will that affect those yield estimates? And again, we also had a report uh, yesterday from the Farm Service Agency, which looks at prevented planting. Um, and so that's also going to be added into future reports as we move forward. So the bottom line is, that the average farm price, which is essentially a cash price for both corn and soybeans is estimated to be down. The average farm price for corn ends up at 310. That's down from 335, which was the July estimate. And then as we look at soybeans, um, we're looking at 835. So um, just a couple of things. This market, um, especially on the corn side, is is fighting against the picture you see on the screen, and that's growing global ending stocks. And you can see that even though US uh, ending stocks are on the rise, we can see that worldwide we're seeing uh, ending stocks pile up as well. Looking at soybeans, um, I'll, I'll zoom into this, but I think it's fun to look at the fact that uh, soybeans in terms of total volume um, this scale here is the same as it was on the corn slide, to, just to show you that we actually hold over uh, fewer soybeans globally from year to year. Um, but if we blow up this chart, you can see, again, we're, we're seeing some uh, a slight growth here, um, estimated growth here in the United States, but we're also seeing total global growth of those uh, soybean ending stocks growing year over year. I'm going to toss it over to Robert on the next couple of slides. One of the questions that we know um, comes to mind for this year um, and many other years when these reports come out is whether or not um, these yield estimations are fairly reliable. Um, of course, in, in August, we have a lot of growing season left. Uh, this month, uh, soybean yields are are more uh, likely to be uh, affected by weather, uh, lack of precipitation, et cetera. Damage to corn, um, as has happened in, uh, in Iowa. There's reports of 10 million acres that um, have been damaged out of the 25 million of cropland in Iowa. So a few years ago, <clears throat> University of Illinois took a look at um, how accurate final uh, yield estimates proved to be when they were uh, released in August, September, October, and November. Uh, prior to that, um, those yield estimates are simply a trend line following. 
they follow the trend line and, and USDA uses that trend line as the expected yield up until August. One of the criticisms for um, these estimates has been the um, changing uh, methodology for yield estimates. One of the misunderstandings was uh, that USDA for the first few uh, yield reports or yield estimates released do, does not have an object or does not have a survey or um, uh, acre uh, uh, data, does not do a, cens a census or survey of the uh, of planted acres until August. This chart um, needs a little bit of interpretation. Um, those um, numbers are quite variable when it comes to bushels per acre. The average uh, across all of those years, 2000 to uh, 2013, the average is uh, about 2% of uh, final yield. The variation is about 2%. So those negative numbers are the numbers that um, the bushels that yield was overestimated by the August forecast. The final estimate was actually less than that by whatever year you're thinking about. For instance, last year, um, the August estimate um, underestimated by 2.1 bushels. In 2017, the August estimate estimated uh, overestimated by 7.1 bushels per acre. Soybeans next, Jessica. Soybeans have been a little bit more consistent, but the consistency has been that um, USDA has a tendency to underestimate a bit more consistently um, what, in, at least in August, what those yields are likely to be. Last year, um, they uh, under, excuse me, they overestimated by 1.1 bushels, but uh, for the past uh, nearly 20 years, there are many more instances where they have uh, underestimated those uh, yields. If we were going to show you the um, following months, September, October, November yield estimates, those yield estimates get closer and closer to the final. As you would expect, more and more information about weather, uh, more consistency in uh, crop uh, progress, especially in September, we will have matured. So most of the United States will have completed maturity and they will know pretty close to what those um, yields are likely to be. And that estimate becomes very consistent and very close to the final yield. On to Corey now. Corey, you're muted. I both muted myself and uh, minimized the screen. All right. 
Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Corey Walters. I'm a faculty member here in the Department of Ag Econ. Um, and with this uh, WASDE report, I'm going to kind of step back and take a little bit of a bigger picture of what uh, what has happened uh, or what this means uh, for the, the growing season. And uh, to do that, I'm, it's uh, essentially the WASDE, just one, the August WASDE is one, one report that comes out every year. And so as we go forward, we'll, we'll receive these things um, every year. But there's there's uh, maybe a bigger picture to be had here, so that's what I will focus on. Um, I like this quote by uh, Charles Munger, uh, to achieve wisdom, we need to learn the big ideas that underlie reality. And what I see out of that uh, for farmers is uh, uh, this yield and price uncertainty faces our reality. And in the next couple of slides, I'll motivate what I, what I see wrong with that, um, and how we approach that, and how we can, can improve that. Um, and essentially, what we're trying to get after is not to be right or wrong in a in a financial uh, uh, forecast of any type um, is can we can we uh, survive uh, bad bad potential states of reality which essentially would be uh, uh, low yields um, and or low prices so and this uh, this approach here is going to exist at the intersection of science and experience um, and it's something we're always all trying to improve on um, oftentimes at the beginning of the the year uh, when we go talk with the banker, uh, we're thinking about what we're going to do. Uh, we rely on the expectation operator, i.e. The, the expected yield and the expected price and decision making on whether or not we're going to do something. And this actually uh, um, can get beat up on uh, pretty, pretty um, badly. Now I need to get over to the other. There we go. Um, and, uh, and beat up pretty badly in the sense of we oftentimes can use the expectation operator incorrectly. And uh, right here over on the right hand side, you, we have December price. Uh, this would be the, the December price in the spring um, coming from crop insurance essentially uh, would be the $3.88 and that's the, the blue line right here. But what we have underlying that thing is a distribution of prices where they can end up and, and the part that, that influences that then is the, the volatility factor uh, for, for a crop. And the expectation operator here is actually correct. You can use it because there's a mass centered around the expectation where you, you, you uh, should quickly get annoyed is when uh, I read these reports, when you read these reports about COVID uh, deaths and they take an expectation operator of a, of a distribution that has a big, huge fat tail with a whole bunch of mass on one side and they take an average or the, the average comes out to somewhere where there's hardly any, any mass. And then uh, of course people pick on them and say, well, that, that was never right. That never happened. Well, it shouldn't happen. That's the idea. That, that's why the expectations and can be dangerous. And so I would, I would recommend looking further into the distribution uh, to see what's going on. Um, at the bottom down here, we have, uh, uh, not Saunders County, sorry, uh, Scotts Bluff County corn yield, non-irrigated corn yield. And I have the cumulative distribution here, which is just adding up everything that's in uh, the regular probability distribution that we had above here for corn or for the price. And again, risk is down here in this low area um, where we have low, low outcomes. This is at the county level, so we underestimate the farm level because definitely hail events and things like that show up out there. Um, all right, next one. Let's go over to the corn side. So what, what we're, we're starting to trigger now as, as this corn price keeps moving down um, is a couple couple of thoughts. One, we get we get uh, people saying this is a black swan. That is fundamentally wrong. This is not a black swan. 
Black swans are, are something inherently different. Um, black swans are not something that you as a person doesn't, don't, haven't seen. It's something that essentially no one has seen. And it's thought that it could never happen by a large amount of people. And of course, it has to be rare. Uh, we are well, this, this, this red line here is well within um, where corn prices are currently at. Um, this is taken back in the spring. Um, so there's, there's definitely a, uh, has been, we, we already knew there was a chance of corn going down below even $3 back in the spring. So this is nothing new. All I did was overlay the 388. This is the, the spring price. And then I took 85% coverage level. I'm leaving APH yields equal to year yield equal to H, APH yield. And so that puts you at a, at a protected put price, your implied put at around, uh, I didn't put the price in here. I think that was like $3 and 29 cents, uh, somewhere in there. And if you have a 75% coverage level, you're down here at, at, at 291. So what's the point here? Um, the point is that uh, if, if you're uh, thinking uh, as we go forward into the next year, the next number of years, um, you're putting more weight on low yields or low prices, sorry, uh, then uh, maybe it's, it's, it's prudent then to, to buy up on uh, coverage level and at the same time, engage in more hedging. Um, we know that the, the traditional amount of hedging um, in the spring has been relatively low. Um, this is one year that's, that's really showing uh, those benefits uh, uh, big time. And of course, that can come at a cost of, of you know, prices up here. Um, but hey, that's the uh, pay taxes area and the hedging protects you from uh, farmer ruin. But you also draw yield out of this thing. And so here we have uh, uh, the expected yield. And what I have here is three different counties and how this, uh, uh, this yield exposure moves across counties and, and how we have to be cognizant of where we're at. Generalizations um, are, are uh, problematic here. So Saunders County, uh, their worst uh, yield, uh, going back to the early 70s, was 54% off a trend. And you can think of this red line as your trend. They would go over 54%. That's the Saunders County yield. Um, of course, we know there's variability around that for the farmers in Saunders County. It happens to be that the, the worst yield uh, off a trend for Sa in Saunders wasn't even the fifth worst yield for Custer County. The worst yield in Custer County was 70% off a trend. And things get a little worse as you go out to Scott's Bluff, um, where the, the worst yield um, was, uh, I think it was 87, but I have them backwards here, but the, there's another point here to be made, is that in 1993, you're 32% off a trend, but the plot data, the Nor Holden plots, was 100% off a trend. I mean, there's no yield. Uh, they, were, they were hailed out. So we, we get down to the farm, and there's a, there's a lot of variability around that. And over here on the right-hand side, you can actually see that uh, uh, the, the good years uh, between Saunders and Custer were actually about the same uh, on the increase. Uh, let's take a look at the implied volatility uh, across time. Uh, this is the, the component that kind of gives you that variability of where uh, the commodity prices can end up between, let's say, spring and fall or whenever you calculate that, uh, that implied volatility. And uh, while I have just 2020 December corn, um, uh, here, this is, this is actually, this increase in implied volatility as we go into the growing season is actually a fairly common occurrence. Um, note that implied volatility comes from market participants who are, who are buying uh, um, options, buying and selling options. Um, so it's, it's a, a market-driven driven indicator. Um, it can get somewhat difficult to interpret. 
um, because it, it, it says where things can end up. It doesn't mean uh, where things will end up. So all it's really telling you is a higher implied volatility. Think of a bigger range. Think as that number grows, your range of where December corn can end up on December 1st can grow. Okay, can grow. Uh, we go down to soybeans over here, and uh, this thing is uh, 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 doing the same sort of thing. Comes up in the spring, but recently it's been it's been dropping off. Um, so those option prices have been have been declining. Uh, another another picture here. Uh, um, some of some of I'm spending some time up here in Montana. Um, some of the neighbors uh, have been complaining that. Uh, uh, well, they, well, there was some government assistance that these, these numbers were, uh, people were being paid more than uh, they actually took in uh, in their, their income. So the, the idea here is, is uh, I, find, I find that kind of an interesting uh, um, policy. I think the policymakers know that, but I think they're going after one thing. And uh, if I were to be reading their tea leaves, uh, is savings. And, and uh, so what do, what do you do when you get, you get laid off? Do you, do you, uh, uh, get some income and then put that into savings or, or uh, do you go, do you go spend it? And so uh, you, if you want to incentivize someone to spend it, we'll give them more money. They'll, they'll spend money, help keep the economy going. Um, I'm breaking the consumers uh, as we go into the fall here into three broad camps. Uh, this is no means uh, correct, but it kind of, kind of gets you a good way to think about it. Um, we're going to have the ones that are going to save. We're going to have the ones that are going to engage in low risk activities. And then uh, we're going to have other ones that are going to engage in high risk activities. And I don't know what the low and high risk activities are, uh, but you can imagine maybe those have more spending than others. Okay. Um, and what we have in the graph here is, is personal savings and uh, how that shot up in the early uh, uh, part of 2020. And you can see just over there on the right, it, that thing's been coming back down. Um, and it'll be interesting to watch where that thing goes into the fall uh, so we, we can eat through uh, um, these, uh, these, these stocks of commodities that we have, um, because they're, they're definitely big and it'd be, it'd be great to have more restaurants open and stuff like that. Uh, and people feel comfortable going to those things. Um, so what will we do as consumers? Um, I'm kind of in the camp personally of a mix of savings and uh, I'd say low risk activities. I don't know what the high risk activities quite are. Uh, uh, uh you get, you know, run into a lot of people at one time. Um, Another a, a, a conundrum I face with talking with farmers is is how do they interpret things? So so I want to I want to bring this up as as part of a, a, a long a strategy going into next year and bring a little clarity to uh, to, to something because I, I see people thinking about this many different ways. Um, government payments, PLC, uh, CFAP. How how do we interpret those things? I see two two camps on this thing. Is one is um, this is the less likely one. Uh, we add it to the current commodity prices that we receive. So if we if we sell our corn at at uh, three dollars and ten cents a bushel, and we got a, <clears throat> a CFAP payment that is so many cents per bushel, we would add that together, um, and then that would really be my 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 commodity price. Or do we not think about that and just say, well, I got my government price over there, my corn price is over here, and you know that's that's just uh, corn prices are just still bad, um, and you don't you don't equate those things. Um, I, I prefer number one, um, but you need to have a little more information to get into this thing because uh, to identify the dollars per bushel, you need, you need to get into your farm numbers because they have different base acres, they have different payment yields. Um, and some people have these things nailed down where they know exactly what that is. But what number one gives you then is 
do we, can we then interpret these government payments as essentially a price floor? And does this help us sleep at night then? Because we see two things here. One, one is PLC, we know in the spring that existed. Um, and, and now we know we'll get a payment, albeit it's deferred. Okay, it's, it'll take a while to get it, but, but something's coming. The CFAP is a, is a different one. And that's a, that one's been exposed now uh, through the government that if things, if we shake the tree enough, um, it's more likely then that something will come out of it. Uh, and and that's, that's what makes CFAP interesting because it, it showed up. Um, and I would ask you guys to, to think about what other programs trigger if prices continue to fall. Um, and of course, can we survive this thing as, as uh, uh, with our own individual production costs? Uh, the big picture, this is my final slide, uh, uh, is every one of you are, is on your own financial path. Um, and this is due to just different, different yearly financial outcomes. And uh, uh, this, this can come from yields, hedging level, uh, the value of the hedging when you do it, um, your crop insurance contract, production costs, a few things uh, that kind of come to mind. Uh, but the idea here is, is that, well, let's say, you know, 100 years ago, we all started out at some point over here together. Um, we've, we've built wealth and uh, that's caused us to, or, or lost wealth to go along or we go flat, um, but things can happen. And, and uh, we want to stay out from uh, one particular event, event here, and that would be this blue bar is when uh, the banker no longer becomes our friend um, and uh, we're forced to liquidate. So we, we want to stay, from, uh, stay away from that guy and we need these uh, financial tools uh, uh, when used correctly to help that. Uh, and and this, this year uh, in particular is really showing the value of that hedging. And I would uh, uh, strongly urge everyone to uh, uh, you know, rethink your hedging strategy after this sort of year when uh, uh, a number of, of rare events are lining up um, that, that uh, are, are lowering those, those commodity prices, however they will. That's all I have. So Corey, do you want to stop sharing? And that'll put all of our faces on the screen. So um, the first question is a toss up for both Corey and Robert is, uh, so what are some, some things I should be watching as we move here into the next reports? What are some things you guys are, are keeping tabs on? Well, one of the things that we're going to know, um, start to get more information about is that uh, damage in Iowa. Um, it's just occurred. We don't know yet how much of that um, corn will produce something. Um, the location of the damage in Iowa is um, it's probably not sal salvageable as uh, corn silage for the most part. So it might be some of those acres are going to be abandoned. We don't know that yet. Um, it's going to take some time before we we do get that kind of certainty about the damage. Um, I happen to be from Iowa and in kind and grew up in kind of that location, those that general location. 
And um, there have been instances where um, we've, they've been able to salvage some of the production, grain production. But the pictures I've seen so far doesn't look like it is mostly salvageable. And of course, the problem with that, making that assumption, uh, is that we have a good picture of what has actually happened right now, okay? Um, the news media has a tendency to pick the most dramatic uh, of, the, of the things that, that might have occurred. And so we may have a skewed uh, image of, of what has happened right now. We will get a better, uh, better impression, better picture as time moves on. And of course, um, USDA will go out to fields and actually assess uh, yield prospects in those fields. And so uh, the September report that comes out in about a month will give us a much better idea uh, of whether or not that that those 10 million acres corn and soybeans are um, um, lost or somewhat salvageable and to what extent they might be salvageable. We'll get in, uh, you know, uh, crop insurance reports um, over time and that will help us figure it out as well. Okay, I'm gonna take a little different perspective. Uh, I'm gonna get into the human psyche of it. Um, so we're, we're, we're naturally, we want corn price to go up. And man, we would really like, you know, to, to uh, see that sucker go a buck. Um, that would make our days. Um, however, with the, the event in Iowa and how the human psyche works, we're, we are logically gonna place a large weight on a bigger negative impact to the corn production than there likely is. And, and because of that, you have, to, you have to have clarity of mind or as much clarity as you can have when you're, you're faced with not knowing what it is. We naturally wanna place a bigger weight on, boy, that's just gonna mess everything up and this corn's gonna rock. Um, to the reality that it's, it's uh, uh, um, speculators and uh, commercial farmers and commercial businesses trading corn and that corn price is what we have. And we have to watch that thing and, and temper ourselves on where we think that's going and take advantage of rallies as they happen. Um, if, if we haven't already you know, been, been contracting er, much earlier in the year. Um, and uh, uh, don't, don't get too, too far ahead that uh, there's still a lot of ending stocks around. Um, and uh, it's, it, uh, let price be your, your barometer, but, but be, respectable with with where that can go I, I agree with with Corey about the psychological aspect of this in, in large part because uh, one of the the things that I see as challenging for that is getting a, a more clear psychological uh, view of, of what's happening is that um, we we will frequently see um, Twitter and social media and talk radio, et cetera, um, bring out those um, worst case scenarios 
And that becomes the narrative that people buy into. Um, in, in many ways, I think um, we should turn off that kind of discussion and look at the data rather than, and price, as Corey said, price is the data because it is a, it is a better aggregator of information, expectations and information than, uh, than social media and, and talk radio is. Price is that guide. So I'm gonna take yet another perspective. And, and so, you know, we're coming from a point of that everyone has, they're, they're at a different place. And I think Corey il illustrated that well. Um, a couple of things that I'm watching, um, I agree. You know, we, we've got to be realistic about what that price range is. And when, and when we're talking about an estimated price um, in that 310 range for corn or uh, th uh, 835 for soybeans, we have to ask ourselves, what does our cash flow look like and what does our balance sheet look like? And can I survive at these price levels and what can I do um, to make sure that I'm taking advantage of those rallies? So if you don't have a grain marketing plan in place, uh, maybe you didn't get some pre-harvest done um, earlier this year, or maybe you even still have 19 in the bin, um, you really need to sit down and, and take that strategy uh, seriously and, and, and decide what you're gonna do with that grain. Um, the other thing that I'm watching um, is the carrying charge. Um, so the difference between uh, prices for different delivery periods and seeing if I can, especially if I have on-farm storage um, for the 20 crop, can I take advantage of that? Um, and that would require me um, maybe to do some, some forward contracting and locking in those differences. We actually see that there um, is a carrying charge in corn um, as well as in soybeans, a positive carry. So that means that those future uh, or deferred contracts are higher um, than the current new crop contract. And so as I look between like December and March on corn, uh, we, we do see that there is a positive difference there and that might be something um, to watch for. So the, another question that came in the chat was, um, will the PLC payments be deposited electronically in October 2020 as they have been in the past? And yes, that is correct that we are expecting those uh, Farm Bill program payments to arrive in October like they normally would. And again, um, you had the option to enroll in the price loss coverage program or the agriculture risk coverage program at the individual level or at the county level. And so you're facing uh, different values depending on the structure of your farm um, in terms of its base acres and its yield um, and then your program selection. So when we start talking about uh, payments, remember that that, that is not on uh, actual production. It's based off of um, your farm structure according to the FSA office. So you need to be aware of your base acres um, and your yields in order to determine what that payment would be. And again, they, they pay on 85% of the base acres on top of that um, or lower if you're in the ARC individual program. So 
Um, you can utilize tools. Texas A&M has a tool and Illinois has a tool out there um, where you can enter the expected farm price that we showed you earlier at the end of the, on the WASD balance sheet to estimate what your individual payment would be. There's another question in the chat that says, Robert mentioned there was an average 2% variation in the final yield on corn on the August report. What's that similar um, analysis for soybeans? You wanna take that? Sure, uh, let's expand a little bit on that, okay? So um, the USDA error um, becomes smaller and smaller as we move from uh, August to November. The error in November for corn uh, has, has a range of about 2% above or below um, final yield. When we talk about uh, the August report, uh, the August report has a range of uh, as much uh, as about 18% overestimation to about a 10% underestimation. However, that range uh, averages over the past 40 years at about 2%, okay? But there, there, there can be a wide variation of uh, error in corn. Now for soybeans, that error um, is very similar, uh, but it tends to be um, <clears throat> that they underestimate uh, yield more consistently than overestimate yield in the past 40 years. Um, the overestimation range um, has been as high as uh, 16% and a underestimation for August as, uh, as high as 11%. And again, uh, about an average 2% uh, error for yield estimations. If we look at the September, October, and November data, November, we've, we, we are very close, but the, the range of estimations is wider um, than for corn for so in the soybean uh, complex. It, it tends to be a little bit more of an overestimation, the range, um, than, um, than in corn. However, again, um, if you take averages, it washes out that range of variation. And so the, the November report tends to be very close or spot on, while as the previous report in October tends to be about a 1% um, underestimation. September, we still see about a 2% uh, underestimation, a lot, and, and as I said, about the same in, uh, in August's uh, report. So question, the, the average uh, projected price for the 2020-21 year for corn was a farm price or a cash price of 310. So as we're thinking about cash flows and, and management, 
we really need to, to make sure that our mind is, is really evaluating that price range. You know, is the price the market is offering today at your local elevator um, in that range? Um, and are you beating whatever your bank projected for your cash flow at the beginning of the year? I think those are the two factors. I, I utilize the USA number that they estimate really to, to bring me into a reasonable range when we start talking about making sales and those kinds of things. So yes, that's correct. Uh, so for 2021, it was at 310. Um, and actually for 19, it's gonna end up around 335 is where they're estimating the final price of last year's corn about that. So that old crop corn. Corey, you're on mute. Yeah, I, I think you meant to say 360 for last year. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. It, you, the, it, July, it was 336. The, the 2021 for July was 335. And then we dropped down to three, 310 now for the August. Three sixty for last year. Any final questions? Or any wrap up thoughts from Corey and Robert? If anyone has any questions about anything I discussed, feel free to uh, contact me. My email is on the departmental website. Um, Phone also works. I'll uh, be happy to, to visit with you. All right, seeing no further questions. Uh, thank you, Robert and Corey and everybody for joining us today. This has been a special Nebraska Farmcast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.